I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. I'm with my friend Charlie Deist, who is not only the technician, he also keeps me on track with occasional questions and timely summarizations. This is episode 26, Taking It Out to the World, Evangelization. Okay, David, so last time we uh, were discussing this cloister in the cul-de-sac idea, we talked a lot about the Psalms, uh, and today we're going to continue talking about Scripture. That's going to be one of the focuses, Scripture, salvation history, along with the Psalms and Canticles of the Office. Uh, there's a common stereotype that Catholics don't read the Bible, and uh, I don't know how true that is, but certainly we would all benefit from spending a little bit more time reading Scripture and uh, so I'm curious what you think is a good place uh, for us to start today and just what, what are some places that people can begin to familiarize themselves with Scripture besides just cracking it open and, and giving it a read? Yes, I think cracking it open and giving it a read um, is not a bad thing to do. Um, I found that, for example, doing um, just a, some research into Scripture uh, and reading about it as well was very helpful. Um, I've recently done these classes with Father Sebastian Carnazzo, um, a scripture scholar, and incidentally his church website, stelliasmelkite.org, uh, has a steadily increasing, uh, freely available set of podcasts. I think he's up to 90 hours now, systematically working through the Bible. Um, and uh, so he, he records those weekly and uh, so there's a place you could stop but the study of scripture um, is something that I didn't re- appreciate how important it is until I really started to do more of it and that's within the last few years um, I uh, was not the stereotyped Catholic at all uh, when I converted I understood the importance of scripture and nobody discouraged me from doing it and Nobody said you mustn't think for yourself or anything like that. Um, but I have to say, I still did not appreciate the importance of it. Um, I was much more interested in the conclusions that were drawn from it, such as the theology, um, in, in a different way, should we say, um, and thought, what, why don't I just go straight to the conclusions? Just read the, the magisterium, read the catechism. Um, okay, it's come from the Bible, but that's the important stuff. Well, it's important too, but um, the, it's the, it, what's really impressed upon me is the story um, of salvation history and how we each has, have a story that is um, participating in, um, if we choose uh, to make it so, participating in uh, the grand arc of the destiny of the human race. Um, and so salvation history... Um, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament explains uh, where we're coming from and where we're going to. And this is important for things like my personal interests, like the culture. Um, this uh, will be something that uh, if we need to have a sense of ourselves as a people, as a society, um, and certainly as a Christian society, those of us who are Christians, I'm assuming people listening to this are, then this is very, very important. And I've heard people talk about the importance of literature 
and stories and poetry in communicating this. Um, I heard Alistair McIntyre actually talking about this. We need to re reinvent the, the tradition of telling stories and people having a, a story which they identify with to bring people together. But um, maybe I missed it, but they, they seemed to omit when they were doing so the most important story, which is the one in the Bible. And if it isn't connected to that, then this becomes um, something like a, um, it, it isn't truly Christian. It's not rooted in who we are. And, and in the end, that is how we are, it is connected to the ultimate Christian um, activity, which is the worship of God. All of these things tie together. Um, I was interested to read recently that in the Eastern Church, um, the, 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 the person who, um, other than the priest or deacon, um, who will read out the epistle, for example, of the church, it, it's always sung, um, and they, that's a, a, a position called reader, and it's a blessed position. I don't know if it strictly counts as ordained, but you, you are elevated to the position of reader, uh, male only, it's, it's a ceremony and you're tonsured, uh, there was a little bit of hair is cut off. Um, they don't do the full bald spot on top no, anymore? No, no. <laughs> um, no that's the, uh, I don't know if that was the Eastern way. I, mm. anyway, any historians of tonsures, maybe we could do an episode on that. Um, but one of the firm um, Guy, uh, recommendations. One of the things that um, it, uh, this Bishop Nicholas, the uh, Melkite Bishop, was saying was that it is vital that those who read and proclaim Scripture study it and understand it, because they they have to communicate the meaning with clearly in the way that they read it. And if they don't understand it, they can't do it. And so, this is a lifetime study, and this is why it's taken very seriously. It's not a case of trying to get people engaged and involved. Uh, it's, a, it's about um, selecting people who are prepared to do this in order to uh, proclaim the, the good news um, in a way that is going to hit hope, that is understandable. So, in regard to this, uh, I, we've emphasised regular scripture reading, incorporating it into the, our prayer, and, and so I would say the same thing. Yeah, we're here in St. Jerome's convent, and St. Jerome uh, is the first to translate the Bible into Latin. Uh, had a, a part, you know, and he spent a lot of time interpreting scripture. And uh, we, I think Catholics can maybe strive in some sense to out Protestant the Protestants in their reading of scripture and their attention to scripture, where going beyond sola scriptura, we have this whole deposit of faith that we can lean on. And so that kind of gets to, to this question of what resources might go hand in hand because there are so many commentaries and a lot of times you can find two commentaries that completely contradict each other. Yes. And the funny thing that I've found with reading the Bible and interpreting the Bible, uh, th this idea of uh, the, the hermeneutic key, they're, they're, you know, finding, finding your interpretive key and... Uh, and a lot of the Old Testament, I think, strikes people as repulsive initially because they're, they're using the wrong interpretive key and they're not reading it through the lens of salvation history and our redemption in Christ and in Christ's taking on the role of 
uh, the, you know, the victim of, of the sacrifice and sort of revealing the whole apparatus that, that is used to, uh, to, to hold communities together, the, the religious mechanisms. And uh, obviously there's a lot uh, that could be unpacked there with, you know, uh, what salvation history really is. And we could do a whole episode on that. But what my question, I guess, is uh, for, for the person who's afraid to dive into scripture, who's afraid of some of these things in the Old Testament that without having some sort of commentary or interpretation can just seem so foreign to uh, our own situation or our, our own times. How do we, how do we read the Bible? Well, uh, I think in the end you've got to find someone you trust so that you pray and you, you pick somebody. Uh, but the, the, the things that, <clears throat> if you wanted to start with somewhere to read if you, from nowhere, <clears throat> Scott Hahn is a good place. I think he did a book, I think, on, uh, I think it's called The God Who Keep his, Keeps His Promises, something like that. Um, and Father Sebastian, for example, recommends that everybody reads that as the introduction to his classics, as a, as a, a good way of setting the scene. Um, the thing that I would uh, would make me I would be looking for is uh, reference to the church fathers. I think so. Um, if there's strong reliance on the the church fathers, so the the, the interpreters from the early centuries, mm-hmm. that doesn't rule out any others. But um, if it's if it's cognizant of the way in which scripture uh, was interpreted in the early days, then that I think that, that that's something that will be good and that that's something that I would be looking for. The reason for that is that um, salvation history didn't stop when the Bible wasn't written. It, 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 we're living out a continuation of it and those church fathers were aware of that and were closer to that um, point where the, the church, if you like, picked up uh, um, the and continues that working out of salvation history, if I can put it like that. Yeah. So um, St. Jerome, he would count as a church father. I, I, I think so. Uh, and, you, and you see differences. So, you, you know, he differed with uh, the, the four evangelists, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, they, there, are, there, are, there are different interpretations as to what the signs are. The four um, figures from Ezekiel, you see the ox, the eagle, the angel... And the I've forgotten the other one. Leopard? No, that's uh, that's the lion. That's, uh, that's <laughs> Daniel. Lion. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you, you get disagreement. Saint and, and Saint Jerome. I don't know if he was the first to translate into Latin, but it might be the the first official hmm. or complete uh, translation. I yeah. Think. I know that he was drawing on a number of different sources. Yeah, and just one quote from St. Jerome, uh, he said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And so it's kind of that same idea of uh, reading all of scripture, you know, in order to understand Christ and through this lens of of what we have kind of unlocked or revealed in a particularly uh, stark fashion in, in the New Testament. And you mentioned that word covenant in connection with Scott Hahn and that seems to be one of the things that people you know can can focus on when when reading the Old Testament just sort of the 
the never-ending faithfulness of God towards humanity that there's that that He keeps His promises, and it's it's sort of it's it's uh, you know us that need to be that need to remember this more yes, more often. Yes, we're the ones who are wayward. I I, I I'm very reluctant to get into um, sort of commentary myself because I'm not a scripture scholar. Um, the thing, the point that I really want to make though, um, is that is the, the one thing I really believe is the importance of it. Mm. That there are people who know far better than me, and um, it has uh, even at this late I, uh, relative. I, I'm 25 years a Catholic. Um, and, and it's now at this point it is the reading of scripture and um, getting more deeply into it that is enriching my faith um, deeply um, as, I, as I go on this journey myself. Okay, so uh, we have the, the scripture there. Um, I'm thinking that we, what we might do is just consider uh, how we can go on to evangelization. Um, and take it out. Um, I'm going to tell a story, um, and this connects with something that you're interested in, Charlie. I, I went home to England once, and I'm still in touch with my old university friends, uh, sorry, my friends of old <laughs> from university, who are, um, and when I go back very often we'll get together for dinner or something like that. And um, it's interesting to see how we've uh, gone on our different journeys. We've stayed in touch and we're still very friendly. Um, I'm not aware there's any... I'm a convert and I converted after I used to hang out with them at university and I'm not aware of any of them having a faith at this point. Um, but one thing that did interest me on one visit home was that um, one of uh, my crowd um, had just started a business um, where she went into investment banks and taught them to meditate. And the, the story behind this was interesting. She began by just doing yoga for the physical benefits of it, just to, to stay um, trim and flexible and this sort of thing. Um, and then gradually incorporated into her life the meditation and the spiritual aspects of it. Um, and then became interested in meditation and eventually started to teach it. Not uncommon, I think, for people who go to yoga classes. Um, and uh, then she connected with um, <clears throat> a group that's actually that's based in America uh, that would that would teach business executives to meditate and, and so she was going into investment banks in the city in London and was um, teaching them to meditate to relieve stress excuse me and um, the way that they convinced people um, that this was okay was using a scientific argument so they, they used medical research, first of all, just to show the effects on physiologically on those who meditated. Um, and then also talked about how it could be demonstrated, she said, that the, um, if you have groups meditating, for example, in a hospital, 
um, even if they had no connection um, other than going into the building, um, no interaction at all with other people in the hospital, if they meditated regularly, they could um, monitor improvements in the conditions of heart patients or something like that. And um, so they just they didn't attempt to explain it, they just said, this is what we see. Mm. And because it came from a scientist, and this lady actually was, was um, she's on the faculty at Imperial College and was teaching genetics, I think, so people would believe her. Um, and so this convinced the executives and the investment banks, and they did it. So my reaction to this, uh, there were two things that really piqued my interest. One was how, through the physical, she had come to be, uh, become aware of a spiritual dimension. And this, I know, is an interest of yours, Charlie. It's something that we're going to talk about. So I immediately began to think about whether we could... Um, we could find a Christian version of yoga, something that engaged people in the same way. And people would tell me about uh, even Saint Dominic apparently had these unusual prayer postures and this sort of thing. Maybe that could be a way. And couldn't quite see it, um, but uh, never really got anywhere. And it wasn't my main thrust, so um, nothing came of it. But. I was interested when I heard about your, I think it's called Move Nat, is it? This natural movement um, idea that um, really the way that it's talked about is that it is purely a physical thing, but people who do it are aware that it's benefiting them in other ways. I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, and, and I would say there, there might be uh, a risk in, in labeling it Christian yoga for two reasons. One would be that it puts it then in the category of practices that inherently have a spiritual dimension um, and also, you know, kind of becomes something that that uh, seems a little bit more exclusive or, or something like that. But the idea behind MoveNet is that human beings evolved over a, a much longer period uh, and, and then, you know, what... Uh, Modern life just represents this very small blip on the, the that whole time span. And in this time since, whether it's the advent of farming or more recently, more industrial uh, existence and, and these lives that now put us in front of computer screens and, and not moving in the ways that our ancestors would have moved. Um, what I take away from that, at least having uh, been... Uh, kind of changed and and transformed uh, through uh, the understanding of of God entering history as a human that incarnational aspect um, speaks to the fact that you know we we come into this world with bodies and we neglect our body's needs at our peril. Mm. And uh, it's you know it's it's not to say that we indulge every appetite, quite the opposite, because our appetites or our natural inclinations might lead us in the modern environment to just rest on our laurels and take all of the comforts and conveniences for granted. Whereas MoveNat is about trying to get people to consider how they can feed their body with these more nutritional movements that don't necessarily need to. Uh, mimic exactly what our ancestors would have done in the sense of 
going you know on a uh, a hunt with a spear or something like that but trying to move in nature uh running jumping climbing crawling even you know getting getting down and actually doing some some uh movements because that's where it all started we we learn these movements before we can talk we learn these movements before we can speak uh but over time we stop using them and so that's that's the idea behind MoveNet. Right and that's something that I'd like to talk about and go into maybe the next one we can discuss that and really I'd like what I'd like to do with that is think about how a Christian would approach that so I mean, mm-hmm. as you describe it it's not an inherently or, or distinctly Christian in, mm-hmm. at all and some of the things you might want to examine but um, I think that that considering how, it's a great starting point, I think, to consider how we might think about, as Christians, doing what yoga has done from the evangelization person, offering people are, are prepared to engage with things physically, mm-hmm. and then through that, my friend, and she's not alone, got a um, move to the supernatural, shall we say. Right. Um, wrongly yeah. in my opinion so i want to think about okay let's let's think about how we can do it rightly now so that's one thing that came out of it the other was this idea <clears throat> that you just go somewhere and and meditate mm-hmm. and my response to that was probably i'm prepared to believe that what she was saying was true that if you go into a hospital everybody benefits from this and <clears throat> but that doesn't make meditation superior to Christian prayer, my reaction was, well, Christian, the Christian spiritual life, if you like, is the fullness of what people seek in all of these things. And so what is the most powerful Christian prayer? It is liturgical. Um, what about, if why don't we just see whether we can take um, a group of people out into a hospital and see what effect that has? And so what I did, I had a little group. At this stage, I was at Thomas Wall College, so I had people I could approach and um, see whether they were interested. And we got a regular group down there. And we went to the v, there being the VA um, hospital in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, so the Veterans Hospital. And the way I approached this was... Uh, first of all, there's, there's a couple of points to make. Um, some people get very worried if you use the liturgy to, to evangelize. They say that the, the, the liturgy is for the worship of God and you can't instrumentalize it. Hmm. Um, even to the extent that some people, I think, uh, um, worry if you say, well, I do this for, my, for happiness. And they say, well, you can't do that. It's, it's, it, God is the end, nothing else. Um, my response to that is that there are all these fruits of the liturgy, including human happiness, and um, provided that the worship of God is the primary intention um, and, the, and love, if you like, then um, there is no reason to want to do it for these other benefits as well. And it's very difficult to separate human happiness from the desire for God Anyway, and this is something that, again, we're going to get into in a future podcast when I'm talking to Father Brad Elliott. Um, but uh, I see no problem in going somewhere and offering the liturgy hours. Priests go in and say Mass. 
Um, now, how do we go about it? My approach was to say, I do not want um, to this to be the success of this to be measured, um, or our uh, um, permission to pray there being contingent upon the number of people who come. Um, if possible, I just want to be tolerated. I want people to allow us to come in, to have a room. Um, we make sure that people know they're invited to come, um, and we welcome any who do. Perhaps if we have a, a chapel or a separate room, we might leave the door open so the sound of the chanting um, drifts down the corridor. But what I wanted to do was just to see what would happen if we did that and whether it has an impact on uh, the people there. And what we found is that people did in time drift in. And um, first of all, one or two of the veterans, the, the people in this hospital were really at the end of their lives. They were very, very ill. Um, <clears throat> many of them bed-bounded, unable to climb up a flight of stairs, for example, to the chapel. So not many were able to come. Um, but some would be brought in um, by, in wheelchairs uh, by um, helpers. Um, and what happened is that gradually word got around and there was a group that used to go and do something called healing prayer, which I had no connection with. I don't really know what it was. But they saw this and they, they started to come and they said to me, could you um, take this down into the wards? And they got permission from the hospital authorities. And so we used to go and sing a song, the Magnificat and the St. Michael prayer, uh, which I'll put the, I think the, I'll put the St. Michael prayer on the blog so you, you, you can hear what we say. And the version of the Magnificat we sang. Um, and one day we went into 13 different uh, rooms hmm. um, and this just developed and I remember hearing the uh, healing prayer ministry guy just say you should start doing this I, I could feel the Holy Spirit and that so I, I don't know whether I could feel the Holy Spirit I don't know if I'd know what that felt like probably I'd, I'd be pretty sure of it if it happened but I could certainly say that I felt there was some good occurring that there are fruits of uh, uh, something positive there, shall we say. Um, so this is one of the things that I just uh, I want to encourage people. Assuming now we have our cloister in the cul-de-sac, um, and you're beginning to pray and do the things we do, you might even have a little group around you. Mm -hmm. Think about taking this out as a service to the community in such a way that it is authentic prayer and it's authentically liturgical. Um, and that it might give others a chance to engage with, with God. Um, we, as you know, we have a little group here and we're thinking we might be able to get out to a prison or a homeless shelter. We feel we're about ready. There's five guys who've been doing this. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, so it sounds like creativity in, in terms of uh, trying to make it come alive. And I think that the, the singing is definitely a, a big part of that. Um, and you describe this as it is a form of bringing liturgy out into the world. So it is kind of combining liturgy and evangelization. It, it is. Um, always with in mind that that's, um, 
that uh, points that the ultimate purpose of this is the worship of God. But mm-hmm. um, we can do that anywhere. We want others to be uh, engaged in the worship of God too. I think you had a, a story that you wanted to tell, another story about uh, a kind of area where here in the Bay Area, other denominations or other religions even have have been um, effective in spreading their message. Yes, um, we're, we're here in the East Bay, and I, I don't know how current this is, mm-hmm. uh, because but it really it's the way that um, Buddhists, um, California Buddhists, and um, meditation movements um, have spread in this part of the world. And um, I, the reason I say I don't know how current is, they've been very, very successful, but um, I don't know whether the young generation today is as interested in that sort of thing as the, the people who were young in the 70s, 80s, 90s, actually. But nevertheless, and especially, of course, beginning in the 60s, um, but the, the, there is a, um, a Buddhist meditation center up in Marin, and um, I, my brother and I regularly go hiking um, up in Marin County. It's, it's beautiful. I, I love the hills up there. And uh, we look down on this meditation centre from time to time. And I always think, I wish that this was a, a Christian place. And I did some investigation into how it developed. And as I understand it, their model is that they offer free uh, meditation classes. So a series of seven or eight every Monday or something in a church hall and they advertise it, learn to meditate um, and uh, that will be done somewhere in the conurbation, so San Francisco, whether in one of the towns, it might, they might do it you know, in Oakland or Berkeley or somewhere where they're likely to get a, a ready group of people who are interested. Um, and then what they do is they say, if you enjoyed this, then why don't you come and have a, a, a retreat in our very beautiful retreat centre? It's not far away, but it, it's, it's secluded and um, you can deepen your understanding. And they charge money for it, of course, and uh, they do quite well. Now, I don't, I don't begrudge them that. I, I think if, as long as it's all voluntary, so, you know, then people are, um, are getting what they pay for. And if they don't like it, they'll, they won't pay any more. But nevertheless... Um, I admire the, this model of engaging, going out and engaging with people, offering something. And my sense is that uh, one of the things that people are searching for is uh, mystery, mysticism. Um, even if they're, like as with the yoga person, um, they're not really aware that that's what they want. <laughs> um, they, once, they, once they perceive that this, there might be something that answers um, a deeper call and simply sort of material needs, um, they want it. And the, the natural sense is that this is, that there is a mysticism with this, that somehow um, this is a world that is different from the one that we look at. And so while trying to engage people through uh, for example, good works, social programs, social justice. That I, I, 
as long as we understand properly what all those things mean and what they're at the end is, that, that's great. But nevertheless, I, I think that um, what th that is being dealt with by um, people who are non-Christians as well as Christians. Mm -hmm. that, that people don't identify that with a Christian activity exclusively. Because so many people see that this is a good thing. Now, I think that has come from Christianity. That is why people believe that, whether they know it or not. That has come out of a Christian culture that we ought to care for the poor, for example. Um, but I think that what people um, want that Christianity can offer exclusively is eternal life and the, the, uh, a way of transcending the suffering of this world in a way that is not falsely utopian, if I can put it like that, is rooted in heaven and, and in our ultimate end. And in fact, it is Christian uh, prayer and Christian mystic, mysticism, the Christian spiritual life, which does this more fully than anything, I believe, that the Buddhists could do. The, the, the reason the Buddhists are so successful is they actually go out there and offer it to them. I don't know Christians really doing this in a Christian way. So the important thing about the Christian mysticism is it has a clear sense of the end, which for us, of course, is union with God, but, as, but it's all contributing to the highest Christian activity in this life, which is the worship of God. So everything is ordered to, the, to those purposes. Um, and um, anything, therefore, which enriches and deepens and draws people to a Christian faith is going to be better. As a Christian, I have to believe that. Um, and I think that if we emphasised the supernatural side of it, that we partake of the divine nature, we have um, an opportunity to live forever. And we really believe that, and we lived as though we believed it. Um, I think that that is something that would speak to people today. So, um, I throw that out there just to say, first of all, I'm always hoping that in the end that this is, might, might be something that happens around here. And I'm always looking for ways to think, try to think of ways that, first of all, we might engage with people uh, and draw them in. Um, and then uh, that draw people in enough that they are interested in trying to pass this on. Uh, and so I'm just always experimenting with ways to do this. Uh, one thing that did occur to me is that if the liturgical prayer, which really is the, at the core of this uh, little series of podcasts um, called The Cloister in the Cul-de-sac, if that were combined with a, a personal spirituality that I've also described in the Vision for You book, um, you would have, through that, great material for uh, retreats that would involve uh, spiritual exercises, reflection, contemplative prayer and liturgical prayer. And you could structure the day around gradually teaching people these techniques of the spiritual exercises of the vision for you. And then also it, it would be interspersed, punctuated with praying the office and you could teach people to do that. And the goal would be that people then went home um, able to do the daily routine of the spiritual exercises um, but also would have something that would enable them to chant if only the basic stuff 
um, with their icon corner at home and start to feel as though they could then um, participate in this, this form of prayer and create the fellowship they seek around them. Mm. Yeah, okay, so it's, it's kind of a, an organic approach to making disciples, and that's one of the things in the Great Commission that we're, we're called to make disciples. Yes. Uh, so the idea is you, you not only evangelize yourself, but you're equipping other people to become evangelists, not necessarily in this exact same way, holding retreats or taking the divine office places, but uh, maybe just by doing what they can do most joyfully and, and in doing so kind of reflect uh, what their faith brings them in their life. And that's part of the vision for you process. Yes, and, and, and so the, the goal here is to, um, is uh, evangelization, is the transformation of the culture, through the, so that um, people who are um, immersed in this will start to create um, and contribute to the culture beautifully and constructively. Uh, again, things, very simple things, like if you have become aware of the language of sign and symbol, that uh, so much of that is rooted in the story of salvation history and in the traditions of the church, you're engaging with art, then I would imagine that that would help people who are in the film industry, for, for example. This translates into um, very powerful ways to connect with people. Um, and authentic advertising, for example, if you understand what man's natural desires that are good, um, and how we respond to signs and symbols, we could have, I, I don't think advertising is intrinsically evil, I don't think the purpose of trying to sell things is intrinsically bad. Why not imbue it with things in a Christian way um, as, and in a, that is in harmony with um, Christian practice? Um, and um, I would like to see the whole culture affected in this way. Um, and that really is the goal of um, all of these, of the book, um, and it connects with the other books that I've written. Uh, that's, that's an interesting point about uh, authentic advertising. What do you think are the lines uh, between selling spiritual things and evangelization, I guess? <laughs> what's the difference between simony and, and evangelization? And the of, what, what's the, yeah, they're the sort of... You know, Simon the magician. By the way, you should send your donations too. Right. Like that the end. Yeah. Um, well, I, I've been thinking about this. I'm selling books, and mm. I do get paid for speaking. I, I'm not in demand. You know, I'm not, I'm not flattering myself that you know, there are millions of people clamouring to talk to me. But I don't have objections to being paid for doing this. Um, what I do for my uh, own spiritual life, if you like, is I'm sure that I am always passing this on uh, for free as well. So mm. a large proportion of what I do is just done for free. Now, I stress, I'm not flattering myself. It's not as if I ha that's a, a choice that I have at the moment for the most part. And mm. Occasionally, I am asked to give talks, and I'm always open to do it, and I, and I will charge to do that. Um, and... So I don't mind doing that. And for something like the retreat, for example, um, I, th I think if we organise one, I wouldn't mind charging for that. You want it to be a reasonable price. Um, and 
uh, people will make a judgment as, as to whether they feel that it's, it has value, I think. Uh, <clears throat> but what I would do to all of those concerned is say, uh, if you really want to benefit from this, and this is what I believe, is that part of what you do must be passing this on freely. So uh, I think, um, supposing we look ahead and suddenly uh, you know, this becomes a vast industry, I, I don't think that will happen, but supposing that happened, um, I would always, at this point I was saying, I'd always want to be doing some of this so that it's freely given on. That has to be an aspect of what this involves. Yeah. Otherwise you destroy the whole thing. Right, right. Uh, and I've, I've seen that kind of, how that takes place uh, both here in the comment and I assume that it's just a part of your, in a way it's part of your ministry uh, is, is just the individuals who you've worked with, taking them through the steps uh, and that's something that you just do simply because it was given to you freely yes. and that's part of the program. Yes, um, and one of the things I ask people who go through it um, is if, uh, you know, one thing I'd like you to give me an assurance of is if you get a benefit from this and this affects your life as it affects me, I want you to promise that you will pass this on for free. Mm-hmm. It's because, you know, I don't knock on the door and say, why haven't you done it, something like that. But, I want, I, I, I'm trying to make that point, that uh, if this is good and it changes lives, and it did for me, then this is something that we, people need to have, um, so yeah. And that's how the Gospels march forward, and that's, uh, that's what we keep in mind when we're trying to create community, uh, we're, we're taking small steps, but it can have this multiplied impact if we reach one person two people, three people, and then they reach three people, and so on and so forth. I think so, and um, as a Christian, I'm bound to try. Um, and the one thing that, um, again, just to come back to David, <laughs> this guy who started it all for me, he's always used to say that in the spiritual life, it's in the trying we are successful. You can't fail. Um, and another way I heard this put was that the, the that we measure success in prayer by the effort we put in, not by the, you know, the, how we feel during this, uh, particularly. It, it does contribute to our sense of well-being and happiness in general. Yeah. Uh, but it's it really is um, not obvious that it it although that is the end, we don't measure the success by metrics linked to that. So we're not mm-hmm. counting the number of people converted or anything like that. Um, but nevertheless. Having said that, my hope is that um, if this is, has some good in it, that somebody along the way will pull all of this together and present it in such a way that it might benefit a lot of people. Yeah. And just to bring it full circle, this whole series has been about uh, applying the practices of the early church in order to build communities, uh, build havens of peace in the modern town and city. So it's about creating community and the idea that we don't want to be consumers of community, shopping around for the church that fit, meets all of our needs, but that we want to be uh, creators of, of community and spirituality, producers of it. And as a byproduct, we can alleviate loneliness when we just seek to offer this fellowship to others. Yes, absolutely. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, 
If you are interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.
You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.